is straight to the source, your destination for food, views and big ideas. Brought to you by two of the best in the business, Tonya Barr and Lucy Allon. Join them to discover some of Australia's most dynamic food, hospitality and agribusiness leaders. Hello and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen. And this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward. Whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture. And we want you to know who they are, their views and their big ideas. We're coming to you today from Camaragal land, and we'd like to begin by paying our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Our guest today is the dynamic Fiona Aveyard from Outback Lamb, uh, which is located just outside Dubbo in country New South Wales. And I think, Tonya, dynamic is a word that really sums Fiona up. It is. It's actually a bit of an understatement, actually. <laughs> She's um, a whirlwind. She's a, yeah. a force to be reckoned with. She sure is. And I mean, we were lucky she found us. And um, it's, been, it's been a ride, you know. She's fifth generation farmer, just really paving her way herself on this value-added product and taking her husband, Bill, and the kids along for the ride. So it's a really interesting story, and it's not finished yet. No. And it's been incredible to be able to assist her on that journey and, you know, meet her where she needed guidance and assistance and really see it come to life, like see her um, idea and vision come to life. Uh, you said earlier, Tonya, to me that um, Fiona really takes the sheep by the horns and that's certainly no, I something... I bull by the horns. <laughs> I like sheep by the horns, <laughs> oh, being a lamb okay. farmer and all of that. Um, anyway, let's, let's dive in and uh, hear Fiona's story. Fiona, it's been a while in the making. It must be pretty exciting to be at the pointy end and to see this new project come to life. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a lot happening. We've been, uh, I feel like I've been talking about Outback Lamb for a long time now, but we've only been going for about four years. And, um, but we're just about to, uh, yes, get into our next uh, part of the adventure. Can we back up a bit and talk about your family. So we live um, at Tullamore, right in central New South Wales, and uh, my family's been farming in this area since settlement in 1886. And uh, we live for, to, for, for people to get their bearings. We're about an hour or 100 k's southwest of Dubbo. And I always uh, kind of giggle to myself because farmers um, or country people never say where they're from they just say where they're near <laughs> but we're near Dubbo so um, yes and we've been farming out here since 1886 I'm a fifth generation farmer and so is my husband I didn't he is lives he's from the next village along called Trundle and uh, neither of us had to travel very far for romance it seems. <laughs> How old were you guys when you met? Uh, it was in our late 20s we'd spent uh, quite a bit of time away. I think it's pretty normal for farming kids to do a trade or a uni and spend a couple of years working for other people before they, you know, commit to a life out here. It's not always, um, you, often people have a romantic notion of life in regional Australia and sometimes it's not always that, and particularly out here in dry land country where we're not on rivers and it's um, at the mercy of the weather a little bit. It can be 
a, a tricky living at times, but, you know, fun as well. Is that something you would advise, though, to get off the land and and explore and then come back? Yeah, I would absolutely. It's, uh, you know, just to have that life. I think anyone working in a family business, to have the life experience to work for other people and see how they do things, open your eyes a little bit. Every day you would learn something new, whether it's how you want to do things or how you don't want to do things. So we are going to talk about Outback Lamb because it's very much, it's gone from a side hustle to a to a real business offering, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. We certainly, like we are, without a doubt, very traditional mixed farmers. This area is renowned for wheat and sheep. It's um, and sheep for meat and for wool. But what we're trying to do is really imagine what farming is going to look like for that next generation and we're seeing a lot of change out here in terms of corporate investment and big farming enterprises and small farms going by the wayside and just trying to find our place and our groove in in that um, transgression to you know whatever the future holds. Where do you think the future is going from that point of view? I don't know. We can probably look stateside and and see like how farming is done in America and and imagine that we will be you know, that a lot of the land will be held by fewer and fewer people. I I think that a lot of Australians connect themselves to that identity of regional Australia, whether you know casting back to when we rode on the sheep's back and all that sort of thing. But the reality is quite different today, and I think that Australian farming. We are mass producers for the export market, so we're really reliant on international demand and where we fit into that on a world scale is really up to us, I think, as we determine the direction we want to go. So with the value adding, I mean, you're taking your, your existing business model and you've got generations behind you. What 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 do the genu- generations before you think of, of what you and your husband are doing and the way that you're farming today? They're, oh, they're very supportive, like every generation does it differently. And certainly my dad and he doesn't farm the same way that his dad did. They were originally, it was all Merino grazing country. And we've in dad's generation, they evolved into cropping. And they're generally supportive. Often it can be a, a little bit tricky to navigate because, you know, they do, particularly we're trying to anticipate where the market's going. And when people are successful and the focus of the previous generation was really in meeting those world markets for like an emerging world middle class for protein and as export got easier and all that sort of stuff, Australia really grew. And for us to stay commercial and viable, we were able to use technology and um, sort of our entrepreneurship and and the you know can do attitude to evolve the breeding stock into really highly productive animals to control the landscape in some ways with underground water and all that sort of thing to develop better wheat varieties with shorter growing periods and better suited to the climate and resistant to disease so it's really been this huge focus since industrialization really for farming to be highly commercial, uh, really productive and um, concentrating on yield and performance of crops and animals. And I think that we will evolve from that a little bit as we get a real awareness of the cost of 
of climate change. It'll change how we farm, but it'll also, as people really push, not even so much government, we're seeing it here in Australia today, as people really push for greater responsibility by companies and individuals, it's going to change how farming's done. And, and we're certainly, you know, just as concerned about the environment as any of our urban counterparts. So what we're trying to do is really farm in a way that adapts to a changing climate and um, and leave, we all see ourselves as custodians of the land. We want to leave it in a better way than we found it. And um, it's, so how we're moving our business now is basically, I mean, to really simplify it, it's about running less livestock and trying to capture greater value along the supply chain so that we're not pushing the animals or the country to the levels that we need to in order to stay viable. It's not just like it's not just human greed that makes people keep doing it. We've just been getting busier and busier and busier and expanding our land holdings and increasing our flocks and everything in just in order to stay in the same place. So it's the market that's driving it, but we really have to be in front of that market and think how we want to do things and communicate that story really well to the customer. And that's what we're trying to do. With regards to support out there, have you have you been able to get support from the government? It's uh, how would I explain that? Yeah, yes, in some ways, like we do access things like our local land service that the government, but their state government initiatives that give you advice on and training on different programs like regenerative agriculture and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so we do access that kind of thing. And then when we started selling um, the Outback lamb, sausage rolls and that type of thing, I was completely overwhelmed by the support locally because I assumed that our target market would be um, in Sydney and that we'd be looking at sort of a quite a conscious consumer who was really wanting to be greater have a greater connection to their food source and and learn more about provenance and all that sort of thing. But to be honest, the local, that's really what elevated us to the point now because it's just that local demand and, and people wanting to have our products at events pre-COVID that really gave us the confidence to go a little bit harder and, and strive a little bit more. But before you did that, you were also doing box deliveries, weren't you? Well, that's how we started. Yeah. Um, so I was always I was trying to reimagine how we might farm in the future, and I was wanting to, you know, go down that regenerative path and have multi-species cropping and and step away a little bit from uh, a wheat cropping program where you're really looking at monocultures and that sort of thing. And livestock has been increasing in value, so it was a great opportunity, and. I just did a web page and um, started selling boxed meat to friends and family and it very quickly did well. So we moved to wholesale mm-hmm. and uh, we were delivering lamb into Sydney and Wollongong and then... And were you delivering um, directly? Excuse me. Were you delivering directly? We were. So I did a program called Farmers to Founders which was, oh, no, sorry, I did a program called um, Regional Platters in Dubbo where we had to do a pitch uh, to the local government and they were talking about how we might grow our business and I collaborated with the Gourmet Goat Lady and Farmer Brown's Pastured Eggs and we did a joint pitch, which we won, 
and the prize was a $15,000 cash uh, check Mm -hmm. that we put towards a refrigerated truck so that we could cart our whole bodies and the eggs into Sydney. So that was a great start for us. I love how you guys collaborated. You, you You had a problem and collectively you solved it. Because logistics is often the problem. It, it is always out here. Like we're used to travelling, but it's um, getting a product to Sydney in a time frame and labour is such a big component of that in an affordable way is really hard. So it was something we could share the labour and share the truck and it was a really a great way for us to grow our business and get established. So meanwhile, I'm just trying to paint a picture here. You're doing that. That's all happening. And then you are in your kitchen developing a recipe and creating these sausage rolls. And the reason being is? Well, when we did the um, program in Dubbo for regional platters, uh, we were invited by the Dubbo Shire Council to do some local produce at a beer festival they were having. Mm-hmm. And we, our big push for what we're doing is whole animal consumption. We're very much about nose-to-tail eating. And so it was not about, um, you know, how many lamb cutlets we could throw on the barbie and sell. We really thought about it and I was like well you know we could slow cook something do lamb rolls or you know lots of ideas went through our heads but in the end I went to our local uh, baker in Kenoblin and I was like I really want to do this um, gourmet lamb sausage roll I think that it'll be great with beer and so we did we just um, killed a couple of lambs and used the all of the meat from it and made lamb sausage rolls and they were just a you know, straight away we knew we were onto something pretty special because they were a huge hit. So it was great. When we first met, I remember you telling me I was pedaling them out of my boot. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. It was, um, you know, like anyone first starting out, it always there's a lot goes on behind the scenes that, <laughs> that makes it not look quite as quite as professional as you should be. <laughs> so, what were those steps like with the local bakery? Did you, did 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 they come up with the formula or did you come up with the recipe or how did that work? It was literally as you described it. We were in the kitchen. I was experimenting with different recipes and because I've got children, they were you know the test the taste <laughs> testers. We were running through different flavors and all that sort of thing. And I was just really conscious. I wanted to have something. I know a sausage roll is you know, not the healthiest option out there, but it's, I wanted something that was the healthiest version of a sausage roll. So I was like, well, I'll just do 100% meat, but of course it's got no flavour. So you then you start modifying and, and creating and doing different things. And, and ultimately we came up with the recipe that, that we're going to go national with today. It's all very exciting. You know, once you have a, have a vision like that and, and when you reflect back, how does that make you feel? Because you... You correct me if I'm wrong, you're looking at it at each stage, but you don't know what's after each step. You know what I mean? No, that's right. When certainly when I started Outback Lamb, it was there was a pain point, as often they talk about in business development for us, that we wanted to change how we farmed and not be so focused on that um, productivity and um, yield. Uh, and so we really wanted to do things differently. And boxed lamb seemed a natural way to do that. And as I said, it evolved really quickly. And if you'd asked me in those early days if I'd be peddling sausage rolls out of the back of my van, 
I, I would have laughed you out of the room, honestly, because I, while I'm a, a mother and a, and a farm cook and a home cook, I'm never, ever dreamt. I'm, I've been a farmer all my life. I've always worked on the farm. I did ag at uni. I was always, I'm always outdoors and, you know, I cook because I like to eat, but it's not, it certainly was never a passion of mine. And um, and the fact that I'm here today is, you know, the humour's not lost on me at all. Oh, well, you've had some um, very talented chefs come visit your farm not, not too long ago. Didn't you have the three blue ducks rock up at your porch? We did, yes. We had Andy, Darren and Mark from the three blue ducks came out and did an episode of their TV series. They were, they came at an amazing time, actually, because we had... It was our first crop post drought, and we'd had about a week before they came. We'd had a massive hailstorm, uh, which had we were insured, but you never insured for a full value. Like you just insure for, you know, to, to cover your costs and that type of thing because it is a random event. So we're feeling a little glum, to be honest. It was like, oh dear God, we've got <laughs> now we've got a film crew and some celebrity chefs coming, and I sort of was thinking, oh, this is just going to be a circus. And then they got there and it was just a lift and an inspiration. They're amazing guys and so genuine and so driven with their passion for the producers and the connection to the source of the food and the provenance and the work that goes in it. And their understanding of that whole process is really amazing. And I often used to say, you know, we always get told that People, you know, they don't know where their food comes from. But um, that is definitely a two-way street because for me as a producer, we just didn't know where our food went to once it left the farm gate. And what we're doing at the moment has been a real education and an enlightenment for myself to be part of the process beyond the farm farm gate and understand what people want and what they think they're getting and, and how we can deliver that. And that's such a valuable point because it is, it's from a producer's point of view, understanding where your food is going and from the, from the consumer's point of view is where it's come from. And I mean, that, that's very much straight to the source <laughs> for the last 10 years. So this has been, um, really terrific taking, taking chefs out to farms, but also taking producers like yourselves into the restaurants and into the city and into, you know, food service so that you can see what actually that distribution from manufacturing to distribution to, you know, to holding the whole, the whole value chain. And that's very much the connection that we found with Mark, Darren and Andy was that they're running a business and they've got to be commercial, but they're also so passionate about the environment and farmers and producers that they pay that premium, that they do what they what they do in order to be true to their beliefs. And we're the same. Like we, we have to be commercial because we don't get government subsidies. We don't get any assistance, but we also love the land that we live on and we do see ourselves as those custodians for the future and that responsibility weighs heavy on you sometimes so you've got to weigh up that balance between a commercial enterprise and the enterprise that you really want to have and for us that journey is outback lamb and trying to you know cross that chasm and and really uh, do something that's just a little bit different and hopefully not lead the way not for everyone like it because the world definitely needs still needs to be fed and, and Australians are you know great producers but Certainly out here in this country where we're 500 millimetre rainfall and and we're a bit more susceptible to changing weather patterns, I think it's a great path forward. What is that you say? 
I'm not saving the what is saving the world <laughs> one sausage roll at a time. <laughs> no, it sounds. I do. I'm very. You know, sometimes I listen to myself and I'm like, oh my god, I'm not saving the world one sausage roll at a time. <laughs> but we are definitely using the sausage roll that we're producing as a vehicle for us to farm a little bit differently than we were in the past. <laughs> when you talk about um, value proposition and actually understanding that, that's 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 where it lies. When chefs actually get out into regions and, and can see the way their food is produced and the ingredients are made, it does give them a different value proposition when they see the price list come through. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Really, Australians are very fortunate. We do have some of the cheapest food in the world because we are such great producers. But the thing is that they really have to start to become aware of is that there is an environmental cost and that cost is paid somewhere along the line. It's either paid by the consumer, it's paid by the producer, or it's paid by the environment. And if that cost isn't factored in somewhere along the line, it's not a sustainable model. Mm. And that's the difference in guys like the Three Blue Ducks and, and the people you're dealing with through Straight to the Source. They really get that connection and they understand that every person has a role to play. And they said to me once, um, if you think you can't make a difference as one small person, then you've never been in a room with a mosquito. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that it has an impact (laughs) no matter how small you think you are. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I like that. I think I'll use that. So with these sausage rolls, so here you are, you've got the the local bakery making the sausage rolls. You're providing them to events and local sporting events and, and activations. In terms of scaling it up, I, I mean, I do have an inside scoop here on 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 the way that this has progressed, but it's it's not some it's not for the faint-hearted, is it? No, no, it's definitely not, and certainly it's way outside my comfort zone. As I said before, I'm I'm genuinely a farmer, like I am someone who is out in the paddocks with the animals every day on the tractors, doing all that sort of thing. So to try and brand ourselves and promote ourselves is a real step outside your comfort zone. We And we did it really easily in the drought and really cheaply, I might add, through social media and that type of thing. And, and it was a learning curve. I did a lot of courses and, and really tried to, you know, get better at it. And at the end of the day, I just realised that it was all a bit of fun, to be honest. It is just social media. You just got to put it out there and it'll be gone tomorrow and and not to take yourself too seriously, but also to use that medium to really share your story, which is what we've been so focused on because I think so often the consumer and particularly urban and consumers, uh, they have an idea of farmers that is so far removed from the reality. Like I think that often they think we're all like Barnaby Joyce and that we're against, you know, climate change and we're this and that, we're that. but we're actually the front line of defence against, you know, climate change and food security and we really understand that so well. So farming's on the front line of both of those things and it's what we do is really important and we get that. And, and so sharing our farming story for me was very important to say to people, hey, you know, we're not environmental vandals or we're not, you know, animal welfare is a huge priority for us on the farm. We're really at the leading edge of things like um, pain relief and uh, we're non-mules with our merinos. We're, we're really trying to meet that market and, and evolve our sheep into 
something that's really suitable to a modern consumer. And it's just so important that the consumer hears that story and understands it and knows that it's not just me at West Point Farm that's doing it, but so many farmers are just like us. I think you've said you're trying to to hit that sweet spot where the planet, profits, and community are all winners. I think that's even on your website, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I love and that. It's, it's, it's a nice grabby thing, isn't it? A little bit harder to achieve in reality, but it's definitely that I remind myself of that nearly every day. Planet, profits, and community. What can we do? Just keep, keep mm. striving. Mm. Okay, so I'm now in the city and I am looking for a sausage roll that has that Providence community in its, um, you know, paddock to plate back to the farm and that full traceability. Walk me through what that looks like today. So we were listed with our lamb on uh, the Straight to the Source webpage. And I think back in January of this year, you guys had to pivot because of COVID. And you reached out with an hour's consultation, which I jumped at the opportunity because I was wanting to get into retail and really scale our product, which, I mean, the irony is not lost to me there either, that we're trying to step away from a commodity product, moving into another commodity product that I need to sell volumes of in order to be viable. And so I talked to you and I just laid it all out on the table and said, I want to get big, you know, we want to be Uh, in the city, we want to be nationwide and maybe even export. I'd spent some time in Taiwan and explored some um, early opportunities there and done a little bit of market research. And I think that there is, I still think there's an opportunity there. So after talking to you, you were like, I think we can really help. Let's come up with a bit of a strategy. And you introduced me to some amazing pastry chefs and people who really know what they're doing, some um, guys in production and with distribution and all that sort of stuff in play already. And we just really sat down and strategized and came up with a plan to um, make those dreams come to fruition. And now we're at the pointy end. And right at the point, yes. <laughs> and I must say, yes, you and I have worked closely on this, but there is a team at Straight to the Source. So they've, um, we've all been on this journey with you, you know, in the, with the cheerleading on the sidelines. And, um, it is an exciting time that it's about ready to, to hit the market. And when it does, I don't know that there's a product like it on the market. No, I think um, I was incredibly naive starting off, as I think anyone who's, you know, uh, doing an entrepreneurial style business is <laughs> blessedly naive, that I was think, thought to myself, oh, how hard can it be to put two sausage rolls in a box and put them on a shelf? <laughs> and- but, but these aren't just any old sausage rolls. So here we're using provenance flour, which is single yes. origin flour, using Australian butter. You're using skilled pastry chefs behind the scenes. You've got your single origin lamb. You've got your secret herbs and spices and a whole hell of a lot of love gone into this. Would you agree? <laughs> Am yes, I missing exactly. something in that recipe? No, that is that is all of it. So it is definitely a premium product. There's no doubt about it. And we've always, it's like something I would make in my kitchen at home to feed my own family. So we've been very conscious of that. It's not got a whole heap of rubbish in it all filling. It's not your your run-of-the-mill servo sausage roll by any means. It's uh, eons above that in terms of quality. And how are you, um, once they're available across the country, how are you going to maintain the integrity of the product? That's been part of the process of getting the team 
you know, with the production crew and, and everything that are working on the product, they've got great protocols and strategy, strategies and procedures in place. And I think that because they're already doing things on that commercial scale, they're, they're expert bakers and and master chefs and pastry chefs, it's really going to be, uh, I, I think they know what they're doing and, and that's, you know, part they of the They do know what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely the reason why we, you know, chose them to be part of this journey with us. Oh, well, I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's, it's always wonderful when you, you know, we've been for 10 years straight to the source working with primary producers and, and making all of these wonderful friendships. And I feel like, Fiona, you and I, I mean, we have been through, we've had many a conversations and um, I, I really look forward to when the sausage rolls are in, uh, in the shops and everyone else can have the, the benefit and the, the beautiful luxury of tasting one of your sausage rolls and, and understanding the journey that, that, that you've gone on. You know, it's been, it's a challenge. Cause like you said, you, you are in, on the land, you are a farmer, but yet you are now going into this whole other world. Yeah. And it's, and I have to say, like, I, I really recommend it to anyone. Like it, you, it is great, uh, definitely in your forties. And, and as I, you know, rocket into my fifties to get out of your comfort zone and do things that challenge you and, and try new things. And I think though that I probably wouldn't have done it if, we didn't have that pinch point here at, at home where we really, with the drought and the way that that played out, that we just really want to be in a much better position going into the next drought. And and the awareness that the climate really is changing around us and what we do really has to be aware of that and, and try to do things a little differently. Well, I think you're absolutely inspiring. You inspire. You inspire me every time I talk to you, actually. <laughs> so thank you very thank, much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And we look forward to um, having you on again and seeing, you know, where the next chapter, what the next Outback Lamb maybe product is. I don't know. Is there some insight there? Well, yeah, because I think it's quite addictive, isn't it? Like when you start to do something and we are only... Well, I want to say weeks away from a launch, but COVID has slowed down a couple of things for us. We've got definitely got a few ideas in the pipeline for how to expand the range in terms of our own supply um, channels and that type of thing. I'm doing some work at the moment on building an on-farm micro abattoir so that we can really manage uh, the animal from woe to go, that we're not reliant on outside sources and that bit of travelling. And it'll also give us greater control over that nose-to-tail consumption and being able to find markets for everything from the skin to the offal and, and all that sort of stuff. So really gaining maximum value out of an animal that's had a great life but has passed for the purpose of, of human consumption but to respect that by absolutely um, utilising every bit of them. Well, we look forward to bringing a group of chefs out on a straight to the source tour when we get back on the road. <laughs> so, <laughs> say, <laughs> so keep the keep the kettle on. We we will be there. We would love to have you. We, that's how we share our story is by not just through social media, but we do farm tours and and all that sort of thing because we really do try to have an open gate policy, and so people understand that we don't do anything that we're not proud of, and that farmers, you know, really 
are doing their utmost to look after their animals and the welfare of their animals and all that sort of thing. So, we, yeah, we have people out at the farm all the time and I'd love to host a, a crew of you guys. I think you'd um, have an absolute ball. Yeah, I think we would too. Now, can I ask you before we close, who would you like us to have on this podcast? Well, I, I mean, I have spoken to them at length, but I think the guys from the Three Blue Ducks are pretty special because they um, have such a passion about food that is from the farm and, and the connection that they have with the farmer. And I think it probably fits in really well with where, what you guys do. Yeah. Well, Lucy and I know those guys, so we might have to shoot Darren a little text and say, come on. <laughs> They're just such great advocates for sharing our message. Like they're the conduit between the producer and the consumer. And it's a bit like good butchers uh, as well. But when we started selling the whole bodies and, and all that sort of thing, it's really hard for butchers to deal with uh, farmers because, you know, we're hard to track down. We don't get mobile service. So sometimes we're not in mobile service. Sometimes we're not on the landline. You just can't reach us. And it would be easier, I think, running a business to put in your order every Thursday for the following week with your wholesale distributor for mm-hmm. the boxes of meat that you would like. But those butchers are the real heroes and then the chefs because they can break down the bodies and they know how to utilise all the animal and they really go out of their way to get the best products they can for their customers. And I just think that that really has to be valued at the consumer end. Mm, Could not agree more. Okay, absolutely wonderful to talk to you, Fiona. I just have so much admiration and respect for for all that you and your family do and um, the journey that you're on. And it's been an, an absolute pleasure to, to be on a little bit of it with you. Well, thank you very much for helping um, be a part of us sharing that story. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some more extraordinary guests lined up and we would love you to join us again. So please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd also love to hear any of your feedback, good or bad, or perhaps you've got a guest you'd love to hear from. You can let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to, and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of the Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.